Mike. Good morning, Kevin, or afternoon or evening, wherever you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> and hi, Bruce, Bruce Pulver. Hey, Kevin, Mike. Great to be here. So glad you could be here. Thanks for sure. having me. Yeah. Welcome, Bruce. Uh, and uh, Kevin, thanks for bringing Bruce in today. This is pretty exciting. Bruce is the author of a book called Above the Chatter, Our Words Matter. And it's, uh, it's a very interesting concept for a book. I, I, I really thought Bruce would be a great guest because of a couple of reasons. Once, I want you two to meet. You're, you're two of my favorite people, but you're also both great writers. Uh, you know, that side of creativity. And um, I met Bruce, I met you, if you may remember, at a home concert with my dear friend, the uh, Nashville singer, uh, Annie Selleck. Uh, it's been, I don't know how long ago though, maybe 16 or more. Yeah, probably. But you know, you had helped produce this concert in someone's home and um, I don't remember their name, but I remember meeting you. That was the impact you had. And I just thought it would be great to have someone who shares so much with us, but can talk about the audiences point of view and how music works for them as a contrast to someone who is a performer their whole life you know whole adult life <laughs> off stage versus on stage yeah yeah well you know um i think i feel rather unique and blessed in this situation in that i was raised in a musical family uh, my dad was a drummer loved the new orleans style of traditional jazz and i grew up at a really young age being around him it was it wasn't his career but it was something that he enjoyed so much that he found a way to do it and the folks that that i was exposed to uh were, were guys that loved the same kind of music and i was talking to talking to mike before we went on air here and i, I remember that those guys in his band would take a portion of their proceeds from a gig and they'd put it in a jar just so that they could hire the musicians from new orleans to come up and play and record with them. So he was in Connecticut and you know they would bring up George Lewis, Kid Thomas, um, uh, Sammy Penn, uh, all these, that, I don't know if anybody out there is gonna know what those names <laughs> are, but I, ha I, ha I know those names because they all signed my dad's snare drum head and I still have it from the 60s. Oh wow, they were preservation hall players. Yes, yes, That's, that was his favorite play, his favorite style of music and the other part of that music that he loved was that so much of that was music that was sort of like pre-gospel music. It was, it was hymns that were performed, and a lot of them were in services, whether it was a, you know, a, a funeral or a celebratory season. Um, he would also work with the band to get the opportunity to do jazz church services with that style of music. So... Um, I grew up playing, uh, picked up the drums, just followed as best I could in his steps. He's such a better player than I ever was. Um, and then sort of through my college, uh, decided that I loved, I loved music so much as a avocation that I didn't feel I could be my best if it was my vocation. But I don't know if that makes any sense. I, I loved the music so much, and there, there were musicians that I would hear play, and I would go, oh my gosh, that is... Or, or, you know, to maybe talk about one, Marcus Roberts. Um, hearing, going to school with Marcus and hearing him play, is like, okay, wow, you can't, do not let yourself hate this music because it's, it's not something that you can play at a level that you, that you can hear, 
I don't know if that makes any sense or not, but so that switched, but I, I, I kept my love of music and tried through the years after that to find ways to stay engaged with it in some level. Well, I, I, I forgot that we both, um, know Marcus, Marcus Roberts, um, one of the greatest living pianists by far in any genre. Um, it's interesting. I'm, this makes me think about the experiences I had at concerts before I decided to become a musician. I was still programming computers, but getting interested in jazz. And Wynton Marcellus was performing um, at the chapel on, on campus at Emory. And um, the record that was out, the most recent record I knew of they had with him had this great pianist named Kenny Kirkland, who I was in love with and just could not wait to hear him play. And so I got there and sang at the piano this little scrawny little looking kid. I think he was 20 uh, with dark glasses. Um, he's blind. And I was so disappointed, like, oh. It's not Kenny Kirkland. Now, Marcus had just joined the band. But he, I mean, you know what's playing. He played, it was the one of the most amazing things I've ever experienced, the whole concert and the level of giving in their music, the soulfulness, the complete, like, naked risk-taking at every moment. It was spellbinding. And I remember viscerally like walking out of there um with still goosebumps and like in days i was so powerfully affected powerfully affected by the music i had heard um i mean i think it has a lot to do with me deciding to pursue music as something like if i could just have if i worked really hard for a long time maybe i could just have a little taste of what it could be like to, to create something like that. Um, it, was spe- it was special. And it's, it's odd. I haven't thought about that in the longest time. When, you're, when you perform, and when I go to a concert, I love to go hear people play. It sometimes it takes a few minutes for this like committee of musicians in my head talking to me about, look at what they did, or look at this, all the details. that You, know, you don't need the details to appreciate the music. You know, and I, I know and all my friends, like the, the worst audience for us to play for is a room full of musicians. <laughs> you don't want to play for them. <laughs> well, as, as a speaker, you know, and, and, and as an author, uh, to talk about your writing and talk about your book, that, that could be a room that can, uh, can tighten you up. Um, so, you know, there, there's part of that, though, that I think you get to a level of comfort, n- not settling, mm-hmm. but you get a level of comfort and confidence, whether it's the players you're with whether it's the room you're in, um, that I think you have to have a little bit of that. You have to have a little bit of that edge of how's this going to go and then then just step into it. I mean, it's almost like being comfortable not having a comfort zone, like being in a space where mm-hmm. I am okay with wherever this goes. Mm-hmm. We just did a podcast uh, recently which we named High Anxiety in about... The nervousness that you get that everybody gets before you go play or uh you know that little edge that you talked about yeah i think athletes probably get that as well yeah and all so um the, so if we have that what's what's so I, you know, i've written this book and and the power of words is just in, insane to me so let's say we're in that situation where there's a little bit of a nerve 
going on or a little bit of um, anxiety in play. Um, one of the words I wrote, and my, my style of writing is acrostics, and I write them vertically. So I just use the letters of the word to define it. And so let's say we've got something coming up. It's a concert, maybe, you know, or it's the first time you've performed in front of some folks that you wanted to for a long time. Oh my Ooh. gosh, I have this opportunity. And everything can kind of tighten up. Um, one of the words I wrote is the word calm. And you may want to write this on your hand or keep it on your phone or wherever. Um, catch a little moment. So when you feel that bit of angst, embrace it. Like if I didn't have a little bit of edge here, of nerves or whatever that is, am I present? Am I really here? Do I want to do my best? Then just catch a little moment and, and let it happen. Because if you've done the work, you can't, pre you can't prepare for what you've been prepared for. So if you're doing the work and you're ready, can we step out of that and have that positive conversation in our mind of this is going to be, I don't know where it's going to go, but I know it's going to be a good ride. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you guys have talked about how you met at a home concert, right? Right. And Bruce, you, you, uh, you started doing some home concerts and talk a little bit about that. Cause that's a unique setting. Yeah. So, I love being in the room with music. Good friend, bass player in Nashville named Jim Ferguson said that to me one night. He goes, Bruce, yeah, there's nothing like being in the room with it. And the it is whatever you love, like being engaged, like all committed in. And we had an event at our home um, where we hosted a dinner. And then we were going to go down to a, a performing center to see the music. Both of those things were awesome. The part that was the pain for us was leaving our house because, you know, we had dinner and kind of settled in. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. We better get going because we got to get to this other thing. And it, it changed the vibe a bit. It was still an amazing evening all the way around. But Bridget and I got home, my wife, and we said, you know, what if we did the same thing but didn't have to leave? And we have a piano at the house, and my, my drums are in the basement. And I said, okay, so we got two of the instruments out of the way. Now we just got to have a couple things. We have to have some artists who would say yes to this. And I didn't know, right? Mm -hmm. Who's this guy? What does he want to do? You know, crazy, wacky idea. And then it's like, well, who would come? And we just started a list of people that we remember, either if they're over for dinner or playing a CD, and it's like, yeah, I like this. Or we just started putting together a list of, you know, acquaintances and professionals and friends not so much musicians which was totally cool but we thought you know if we can expose one person to this type of setting have a meal my wife's a chef she did all the food um yeah she's great shout out to bridget you need, and, you need to do another concert so i can eat <laughs> just for the food <laughs> that's right and, and and so a couple more factors that were pretty important to us number one is that everyone is the same so there is no backstage there is no, yeah, you, you go in the green room until you're ready for the musicians. It was everybody was going to celebrate being in the room with it. And it came off. And the artist told us, well, here's kind of how it happened, right? Everybody shows up and not everybody knows everyone, right? So who are the musicians and who are the guests was, was pretty cool because we didn't really know, right? They were, I did, but a lot of the folks that came didn't. 
Uh, of course, the musicians knew. Um, and then there was a meal. So we, we broke bread together, artists and guests. It was the same. It was just that four of the guests, or five, were going to share with us their artistry. Then there's the break. The, the surprise of what happens is, is gone. Now it's okay, what's next? Uh, but the, at the break of the set, there was m more interaction. And, you know, oh, my dad played, you know, bass. Or, you know, there was this conversation between artist and the guest that can't really take place. I mean, it's different, right? It's, it's not waiting for the artist to end, to come off stage at the end and say, well, thank you. Know, it was intermingling. We moved the furniture. People were sitting on the floor. So um, that's kind of how that started. And we, we've done, you know, a half dozen of them. They are, they are an effort, you know, tickets. And the other thing that was really important, and, you know, I know, that, I believe the artists appreciated this, is we wanted it to be a, a good payday. We, we wanted there to be the music part, but also that it was, wow, this helped, you know, because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's not the highest paying gig in the world. And if we could contribute something back, and so we, we ticketed it. You, you know, Bruce, there's, there's something unique ab about this situation we're talking about, I guess, the big situation of, of musicians performing and other people supporting that I've, I always wonder a little bit about, which is um, unlike many other businesses, the, the music that we do, you are part of this group of people who provide so much support to people like me who are performing, you know, you're putting on these concerts. We both know our dear friends and he just does this because he loves the music and he's always out helping people. You're not the only person I know who does home concerts. When I, before I moved back to Atlanta, there was this wonderful lady, Mary Jo Strickland, and she has a very small house and she would put a quilt underneath the piano for people to lay down and listen to. And it, it's unusual, I think, to have I don't really like the word customer, but consumers, I guess, of what we do, who are also giving voluntarily. It'd be like it'd be like working at a car dealership, and people show up and clean the cars for you before they buy it. I, <laughs> it's just it's 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 unusual to me. So I want to ask just directly because I feel like I'm too distant from the audience. What what is it about music that motivates that you think motivates people? to provide so much support for. Go see some live music. I mean, just go. Um, there's so many other choices, but but go not because you know you're helping someone work, but go to, to listen and, and to, to learn something about yourself. You know, the thing about music to me, especially music without lyrics, without words, instrumental music, is that I, I can hear a story, but I can also make up my own story when I'm listening to it. So for me to support it, it's always been a part of my life. So that's, that's something that I think kind of goes, doesn't have to be. You can discover it at any point in time. But if it moves you, um, take action. And the thing I love about the word action, kind of get back to the way I write words, <laughs> yeah, yeah. is it has its definition in it. The fourth letter is I, the first three letters are act, and the last two letters are on. You know, we, we, we have to take some responsibility and, and do things that we love. Um, and there's always reasons not to, right? One day, just flip that around and say today's day one and we can go do something. So anyway, I'm kind of on my, my soapbox about, about that aspect of life and doing things. But about music, it, it just, 
it, it's a part of life. I mean, so, I mean, you know, earth without art would just be E-H, eh. <laughs> I've never eh. heard that before. That's awesome. <laughs> so, eh, sorry, but you're getting inside my head. This no, is, I this love is it. the improvisation that goes on in my world. But I, hopefully that answers the question. I think it's just something that, um, I, I think service, is, service should be part of anything that we commit to do. You know, you, you, you mentioned something in the middle of that. You said, go, go listen to some music and learn something. Working is what you learn learning music. And it's about the life lessons that you learn or learning music. But, but when you said, go listen to music, uh, you'll learn something about yourself. Um, I think that's poignant. Yeah, so you, all you have to do is let yourself. Just, I, I think I see it around as well as like, I've, I've got this figured out, you know, this life thing or, or it's never going to get any better or it's, it is what it is or, you know, those kind of things. Um, I try to, I try to stay away from that because there's always something to learn and there's always a way to get, my daughter played soccer in college and the whole goal was to get 1% better each day, just a little bit. One of my favorite other words is, I think it's a word, it's called incrementalism. It's the process by, of being incremental. Well, in the middle of that word is the word mental. So it's where we put our mind of possibility. You know, can I? Cautious, anxious, nervous, insecure, C-A-N-I, or I can, inspired, confident, affirmed, never a doubt. So you move those around and change the punctuation, it puts you in the step of saying yes to something. Yes is you expect success. I think I need autocorrect. <laughs> you spell better than me that's great you, you know it's this thing when we're performing I, even after I've been doing this you know performing for a living for 36 years wow but I'm even now I'm still surprised when someone comes up not when they say they like their music but people will come up and say I, I needed this today thank you so much and it, it's it's important to remember what a privilege it is as a musician to share what you're doing with people. But it, it still surprises me because, you know, we're up there performing all the time. I, I mean, I tell students all the time, even if, if you're playing at a hotel and, and you think no one's listening, there's always someone listening. And yet it's still is surprising, uh, you know, the role that music plays in people's lives. And I, I wonder, even worry a little bit, being just a musician, if, if I'm missing some of that perspective, you know, it's... Maybe missing is the wrong word, but it's a different experience for a musician to go to a concert. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, but it's, it's unusual. Well, I want to hang on one thing that you just said. You said just a musician, and I know you didn't mean it that way, but that's what I heard, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to latch on to this thing. Kevin, we've known each other for a yeah, long yeah, time. Yeah, bring it on. And <laughs> you are so much more than a musician. Um, the lives you impact, not just, not just when you play, that's, that's amazing. That, that's, and all the work and all the gifts, God installed features to share, in other words, um, that you have, you honor those and you bring your best to them. But beyond that, the way that you engage with anyone that comes up and wants to talk to you, because from an audience's perspective, it's almost like there's a shield there sometimes. And when you make yourself available, someone wants to share that you made that impact, that's the, that's the highest compliment you can give them is to listen to what they have to say. And you do that. You know, I had a, had a, a very early mentor 
I've had a lot of great mentors. Um, I just got off stage with him. I was 21. Uh, it's a great clarinetist named Buddy DeFranco. And um, someone came up and told me how much they liked the solo I played. And like a 21-year-old, I said, oh, it was terrible. I, I played. I, I, I'm so sorry. I, I wish I could have done better for you. <laughs> and Buddy chewed uh, me out. <laughs> it's like, you just call that person stupid, Kevin. <laughs> Don't ever do that. If they come up and say something, say thank you. And, and that, has, that has stuck with me forever, you know. It is. So many of us musicians, we're introverts, and I like being at the piano's my safe place. So it takes a little effort to, you know, talk to the audiences. Um, you know, I like the home concerts saying because of the informality of it. You know, when we're out on tour, uh, you know, very often you're playing for, you know, thousands of people, but then you have to go do the greet and meet, which is either right before the concert, after which is for all the people, the sponsors and stuff. I mean, the hardest was in, in Spain because of, in Siet, because of uh, Siesta, you know, the concerts are going to be at like 11 p.m. or 1 a.m. And then dinner and meet and greet. And then you're getting up at 6 a.m. to go to the next place. But you just, you know, it's you, once you get there and you're with the people and you realize how much they they just want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's special. Well, first that that I spent am blessed to be able to spend time with. We talk a lot about for the one person. If you can touch one person with a message, with a performance, um, with a bit of encouragement, or an uplift, you're done. You did what you, you can mark it up as a W, a win for the day, and so that's really. I think I, when I see you play, and I, you know, I, from from afar and even up close, you can you can easily tell the musicians that are are into being part of the community, and and you know those. And but everybody's gonna have a bad day. I don't mean it that way, but you you can tell you can tell when that's a genuine perspective. And and I think if if we do more of that in everything we do, whether it's letting someone yield. You know, and uh, put, you know, cut in in front of us, and no, no big deal. Or whether it's holding the door for someone, or here, I'll, I'll pick that up for you, or whatever it is. It's, it's, uh, it, it's how we stay connected. You know, we're talking here about live music, and uh, again, to me, that's that's the essence of why I always loved, you know, playing music is not to go into a studio and record or anything, but play for people, being in front of people. Um, it, and you, you studied music. Um, in terms of live performances, could you like pick out a, one or two that you saw that were the most influential on you or that were the most amazing to you? Uh, or, or what maybe what um, gave you more love for music or more energy about music than others yeah, i mean there are some sentinel concerts concerts i could say that just you know blew me away or or, or changed changed my life um man got to see i got to see chick Corea with christian mcbride and brian blade in san francisco at yoshi's wow what a... at, in oakland i'm sorry yeah, the, 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 the oakland, oakland one, one. Yeah. um the drums that i have are the same make and model that he was playing that night from the 60s some old Gretsch kit, which I adore, but to hear him 
because I'd listened to Chick and I'd seen Chick uh, several times, but to hear what they did as a unit would would be one. Um, another was at college um, when I was studying percussion my first year there. Um, you know, the, the mallet instruments were, were, were difficult for me. Um, and a marimbist from, I think he's from New York, Lee Stevens, came and played. And that's really the first time I saw a musician beyond the technique. Like, I was, I was mesmerized by what came out of that instrument. And so those would be some, and, you know, some recordings as well. But those, and then, then a, a really powerful high school experience was when the big bands were still touring. All of them came through our high school. So we got to see Buddy Rich play. Got to see Stan Kenton lead his amazing orchestra with all that instrumentation and those amazingly fat, wide chords that he had. And then Woody, Woody Herman's band played, and, you know, that was just a fun event. Right, because he had just amazing musicians with him, young guys, and then um, Maynard. And when Maynard Ferguson came out, that was just a show, and you knew that you had to be. You were gonna if you were in that band, you were blowing all night. You just reminded me of um, a concert experience I had when I was in high school. I hadn't discovered jazz yet. Um, but there, there was this young lady that I finally got to agree to go out with me. She loved classical music. And orchestra, um, I presume they were from Europe, were going to be performing at a perimeter college. And they were led by like some kind of royalty, a baron or a duke or something like that. Um, so I was excited and she thought we we're going to this really exotic European classical concert. And of course, it was Count Basie and his orchestra. <laughs> and they played with no microphones, just one in front to talk on or maybe for the singer or a soloist. And they played louder and quieter than I've ever heard. And everyone in the auditorium, it was sold out. Everyone was spellbound by this. It was amazing. She didn't like it at all. I'm sorry, Stephanie. She, and And... I was in trance, so I never asked her out again. <laughs> uh, and sadly, he, he, or lucky for me, I got to see him live. He died six months after that, you know. And, and now I'm going to, this is, this is terrible, but I also eventually ended up going to see Buddy Rich's band. And he died six months after that. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. I went and saw Woody Herman here in town, uh, and he died six months after. I was like, I've got to stop going to see these bands. <laughs> and here we are sentence. talking about live music, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, I didn't even know that was jazz. Even when I heard Count Basie, it was just an amazing experience. I just thought, why amazing orchestra? Because yeah. I didn't grow up with big band music or jazz in my house yeah. of any kind. So I, I came to it a little late, you know. Well, one of the things, and you're mentioning Count Basie, uh, one of the absolute pleasures in my life was probably 10 years ago I was going up to Nashville a lot you know mm -hmm. we talked about Annie yeah shout yeah, out yeah. to Annie Selleck um got to know her got to meet a lot of musicians in in Nashville and I went into a restaurant where a, a, a just a phenomenal Nashville pianist named B.G. Adair oh. was playing and I would uh, tell, tell a little story about myself I would plan meetings for Thursdays in Nashville so that Thursday evening I would stay and have dinner and I would go and see BG play. And one night I go in there and I see a drummer that I hadn't seen before there. Um, Chris Brown would play and Jim White would play often. 
two amazing drummers. Well, there's a, a drum kit in there, and there's a caricature drawn on the front of the drum head. And it said Duffy. And that was the first time I heard Duffy Jackson play the drums. I'll fast forward this. We became friends that night. He sat, I, I said, I, said, I, I, I kind of knew who he was, but, you know, I didn't have, just, man, he sounded so great with brushes. And, man, can I just sit closer? You know, just, and that started a friendship. Um, and he had so many amazing experiences and stories to talk about being in Count Basie's band and others. I played with a ton of people, but, you know, you want to talk about the universal language <laughs> of music. Um, it, it is. And just the opportunity to meet this man and then have like meaning of life conversations um, where you really want to dive in. Um, I think that's something that's somewhat unique about those that have the artistic a aspect or lean, uh, not exclusive to, but you know, tell me more. What does that mean? You know, how did you get where you are? Um, what what challenges did you have? What hurdles did you have to face? That that's more of an open conversation. With Duffy, it was incredible. He's just a, a great man, just so joyful and so kind to me. You know, the, the beyond the the names and the the greatest players where you guys are talking about. Uh, yeah, I traveled. Uh, I was on the road for years, a week here, two weeks there. And every little dinky, and, and they were little dinky towns. <laughs> we were not booked in uh, Chicago or New York or L.A. We were booked in Minot, North Dakota. And then we went from there to Waterloo, Iowa, and there to Peoria, Illinois. But any little town or little city that we were in, there was always somebody that there you could go here who was really, really good. They weren't... You know, they weren't known, they weren't big names or anything, but there are great players everywhere. Mm. And I would encourage, shout out, go see some live music today, or this week, or before the end of the year, just, and whichever one you want. If you want to go to a big, you know, stadium somewhere, great. Um, one of my dear friends, I, I'll tell, share this, one of my dear friends is a um, saxophone player. Shout out to Kenny Anderson, who played with Miami Sound Machine, played with Tom Jones, but also played with Arturo Sandoval mm -hmm. for many years. I asked him one night, I said, Kenny, 40,000 people at a stadium or a room that holds 45, which do you prefer to perform? Which setting? In classic Kenny Anderson style, he said, whichever one's the fullest. Put 60 people in that 45-seat <laughs> arena or uh, bar or restaurant, man, that's that's the best versus, you know, a stadium that holds 60,000 and there's 25,000. I mean, that was his perspective is wherever the f I can feel like we're fulfilling I've space. Got, I've got to add this little story. I'll make it quick, though. I'm in Chicago performing. We have a day off, and we hear that the great Eddie Harris – is performing with the Cedar Walton Trio at this new jazz club uh, in downtown Chicago. So we buy our tickets and we get there, me and my buddy. And it's just the two of us in the audience. Bartender comes up, we, we order an, you know, an appetizer, we're sitting there. And then the four musicians walk out and they look at us. And then Eddie Harris picks up the microphone and says, Hey, thank y'all for being here. We can't wait to play for you. And, but but let's 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 
make up the the, the rest of the okay. thing today. So music, the acrostic. So just okay. visualize. We're going to write this word vertically. Okay. We haven't planned this out. So this is this is my version of improvisation. Okay. M. Magical. U. Undefinable. S. See some today. I. Inspiration. And C. Creativity. All right. Bruce, this was great. Thanks for being here. Thanks thank you, Bruce. Me. And thank you for bringing uh, your book to talk about. Uh, once again, above the chatter, our words matter. Thank you, guys. What a pleasure to be with you.